Okay, we are live. We were talking about, uh, I was asking Ray about um, Florida and Texas. And so maybe we can st- step, uh, start there and then go into the question Georgie just asked, because I think all this stuff is super important. So Ray, your take on Florida and Texas being these places in the U.S. that are resistant to, um, I don't know, they're, they're backing down from the COVID hysteria. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, 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 and Texas has lots of places with really good climate uh, up in the hills at the higher altitude, very livable. Uh, I don't know any place in Florida that I would consider <laughs> livable because of the, the hum- humidity and heat. And, and do you think humans are just not um, like designed to live in a climate like that? Like, what what's the exact problem? Like the uh, you described earlier. You have to turn down your metabolic rate uh, tremendously. Because of the humidity specifically? Uh, uh, yeah, high temperature humidity. Because Does it, that mean that people with low metabolism would feel would feel better if they uh, moved oh, forward? Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, super hypothyroid people just love it. Uh, it's making up entirely for their uh, cold metabolism. Is that one reason why all the retirees are moving to to those places? I I think so. But you're saying okay, so you have a naturally high rate of metabolism, and so going to Florida would be problematic because that would it would kind of be like a too high. Is that what you're saying? Uh, uh, yeah, one of the things that happened to me, uh, even though I uh, adjusted uh, my heat production somewhat downward, uh, the humidity uh, and my high metabolism uh, caused me to grow molds uh, like like fungus sprouting out of me. Uh, And when I got back to Oregon under moderate temperature and humidity, uh, they shriveled and fell off. Wow. (laughs) I would have guessed that. And so, okay, so if those places don't get... um, Okay, and then, Georgie, sorry to keep to redo this whole thing again, but what was your question, Georgie? Well, I mean, uh, just based on what I've what I've seen over even over mainstream media, it looks like even in the bastions of of COVID hysteria, um, uh, I think the thing the measures are kind of falling apart. Uh, the population is not buying it. There's this, even CNN ran an article that there is now a plateau of vaccination. Uh, about thirty eight percent have been vaccinated, and now there's these huge surpluses of vaccines left unused because apparently the the other sixty percent just don't want to be vaccinated. At least at, at this point. I think that's that's a very uh, natural, uh, sane reaction, and that uh, the, the way the uh, cult climate change uh, uh, doctrine was pr- promoting change gradually, but it had a time uh, frame of something like uh, ten or twenty years. Uh, they uh, jumped on the, the the pandemic idea uh, and realized that the time uh, frame for a complete takeover uh, would be reduced to two or three years. But uh, with resistance, uh, there's talk that they're going to have a a so-called cyber attack uh, justifying a takeover uh, by the governments of the banks uh, to save everyone's money by confiscating it basically and turning turning to a, a cyber currency uh, and uh, uh, rationing out your own money to you. Jake, uh, Annika, and I were theorizing like, about when something like that would happen. And uh, I think James Corbett just released a video and, and he said something like they would need 
that would be an ideal situation to transition to the new digital currency. And so if you listen to them right now, aren't they saying that the digital currency is a little bit, um, maybe a few years away or they don't want to be first? And so I know it's impossible to tell, but would you expect a, a cyber attack maybe later than rather than sooner? I, I think it depends on uh, how uh, sane the population is. If, if uh, half the population gets fully aware uh, of uh, the horrors uh, planned for them, uh, and the, the ruling class is going to have to uh, do something desperate, uh, like like war or, or confiscation of the banks. No, I, I'm betting on war. I, I think that they, you know, it's their it's their favorite tool to start with. They're the most experienced with it, um, and it's you know, um, if they start a major war like with Iran or God forbid China or Russia. Uh, even the same population will be kind of forced to be to 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 get on board and, and support it because it'll be a matter of survival. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and they have the situation all set up, uh, designed to have no exit except a defeat of Russia in the uh, development of what's happening in the Ukraine. Uh, the, the Putin has made it clear that uh, he isn't going to uh, uh, give give up his sovereignty, uh, and uh, Biden, uh, I think, has slightly backed off, uh, postponed uh, the world war a little bit. So I have that article. I, I don't know if you saw it, Ray. I sent it to you. It's called Flashpoint: uh, Ukraine Don't Poke the Bear. And um, yeah, can you explain that? Because like a layman like myself, like what? What what would be in it for like isn't uh, war is like uh, keeps the capitalist machine going? But if if they want to do like societal change, what what's the benefit of starting war with Russia? What's that going to do for them? Uh, well, well, their their goal is to uh, have uh, Russia and uh, China completely subdued uh, because uh, Russia has such a tremendous. Uh, uh, area of natural resources. Uh, everyone wants to control their resources, and so the Russian government has been a nuisance now for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and the West uh, is still uh, trying to think of ways uh, to uh, take total control of, of their resources. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, uh, keeping a mild war hysteria going uh, is necessary to uh, keep the uh, uh, Western Europe and especially American economies running. And, and what's the deal? What are they trying to do right now? They're trying to make the Russia go to war with the Ukraine. Is that right? Uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, they're hoping that, that Putin will uh, just give up uh, if the uh, England and the U.S., if they uh, give the impression that they will totally back whatever the Ukraine does, uh, Turkey is getting into it, uh, uh, training Ukrainian uh, soldiers and urging them on uh, to uh, invade uh, Crimea and eastern uh, Ukraine, which is, has declared its independence. Uh, and uh, so the uh, the surface pressure 
looks like they're, they're dedicated to having the Ukraine start those invasions and assuming that Putin is just going to let them take the Ukraine, the Crimea and the east of the Ukraine under the control of the Kiev neo-fascists. And Putin has said he, he won't allow that and has already lots of landing craft available for coastal support of those those regions. And so <clears throat> the Kiev government has withdrawn its forces from the Russian border, recognizing that Russia isn't going to invade the Ukraine and is putting them along the the boundary between East and West Ukraine, hoping that threatening to invade Crimea and Eastern Ukraine will get full support from the West uh, and that, that that will force uh, Putin to back down. <clears throat> uh, but uh, I, I think uh, Biden realized that Putin isn't going to back down, uh, and that's why he uh, telephoned him uh, and proposed uh, a summit meeting somewhere, but with with no definite date. Uh, so I think Biden just uh, hopes to prolong it so he won't be embarrassed but he he doesn't want uh, to see uh, Russia exercise its existing potential to uh, to totally knock out the Kiev government. It it sounds kind of dark, but if we were to go to war or something, you'd almost hope that they won, right? That would be like a better situation for humanity? Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, because uh, the the present bunch in in Kiev, uh, they honor... Uh, Bandera, who was the leader under the Nazi invasion, uh, so that they are literally uh, neo-Nazis who are in control. Uh, and uh, no one really wants them in control. Uh, it's only because they uh, create the war threat. I have seen a few quotes, we, and we can move on after this, but that the people Putin kind of knows what's going on, you know, the central banks and things like that. And so it's, uh, yeah. Is there anything interesting to mine, mine there about Putin and his uh, understanding of Rothschild network and things like that? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, under the Minsk agreements, part of the UN uh, uh, Security Council agreements, uh, which the West signed on to, Putin has the power to enforce the Minsk agreements, and that could involve protecting the Russian-speaking population of the East from the Kiev people who outlawed Russian-speaking. And so he could evacuate all four or five million population of of the eastern Ukraine movement to Russia and just leave that half of the Ukraine as a a vacant territory as long as the 
the Kiev people and to keep up their threats. Anything uh, else here, Georgie or, or Ray? I was going to move on. Uh, Ray, I sent you a, a Notion document, and so if, if there's anything else left to say there, I was going to move on. But um, I remember, we, I, I think I emailed you in our first episode. I was like, oh man, I'd love to talk about something other than nutrition, maybe philosophy or history, but I think I've come full circle. <laughs> and I was thinking if we could do an episode about uh, anti-stress nutrition for 2021. So, you know, I, I've said it a few times, but I think you're getting more popular. And I think as you grow more popular, some people find your nutritional ideas like esoteric. And, and I don't think that's true, but I thought maybe we could try our hand at encapsulating some of the core ideas in, a, in an episode. So um, I don't know where yeah, good- they, they found them so esoteric that they blatantly plagiarized them and present them as their own. <laughs> Yeah, that does that does. Right, you you'll be amazed at just just how many quote unquote famous podcasters are essentially reading off of your website <laughs> and, and never mentioning your name even once. No, no kidding. What do they quote? Oh, uh, they they actually verbatim pick up uh, paragraphs from your website, and and the way you can do it, you can check it out is if you uh, I have to find the exact sentence, but you can search <laughs> Google for for a full sentence. You put it into quotation marks. And then it gives you all the websites websites that contain this exact sentence. You'll be surprised how many other websites are sort just directly copying your stuff. Not not entire articles, but <laughs> uh, full paragraphs are routinely taken from your website and posted as their own. Uh, uh, for years, I've been running across things that are obviously my sentences <laughs> in strange places. Well, it's it's becoming mainstream. I mean, some of the more famous podcasters, some of them former low carbers and paleo advocates, are now fully getting on board of the metabolic diet and gas, gas, gaslighting their former clients by <laughs> pretending that they're still low carb, but writing about your ideas. <laughs> I, I'd be a hypocrite if I, if I criticize, but right. Isn't, you know, maybe for like a, a directionless young man or something like co- copying who, what they want to be. Uh, isn't there some philosophical angle, like copying before you can develop into like kind of the person that you, I don't know, that you're going to be rather than what you want to be? Uh, like having uh, models to, to imitate, to try out. Yeah. Or, I, and I, I couldn't guess for you, but maybe like an Albert St. George or Heraclitus, like uh, I'm sure you were your own person from the beginning, you know, but for a culture that tells people that, there's no meaning or whatever, but um, like uh, what I'm trying to say is if somebody copies something that I, I've written, I really try not to take it so personally because I know that I did one, I did it to you. And, oh, oh. and then, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it makes me feel uh, good actually that <laughs> someone likes my sentences. <laughs> what is it? The, the plagiarism is the highest uh, flattery, former flattery. Is that, is that how the expression goes? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's nice to see someone liking the same uh, phrases. But but maybe in the um, William Wilhelm Reich's Listen, Little Man, he says something towards the middle of that book. He says like, if you just copy and you're not trying to add anything to it, that's when you're kind of kind of exactly. Uh, that's where I think uh, we have direct empirical uh, knowledge uh, of continuous creation uh, for the astronomers. It's the color of the galaxies and and such things, uh, but in our own experience, it's uh, the experience of communication uh, as producing something new. Uh, every time we talk, 
words don't uh, directly transmit uh, anything. Uh, a, a computer symbol does transmit anything, but uh, not, no intelligence is transmitted uh, in a, a com- computable uh, sort of language, which isn't language. But natural language, uh, each word is an ambiguity, and the receiver has to do a creative uh, invention to understand it. Uh, so every time uh, someone is talking and really understanding what the other person is uh, saying, the receiver is doing a creative act, creating new structures that never existed before in the universe. Uh, and so uh, talking is an example of continuous creation. And that's why when somebody passes away, uh, like speaking of using their phrases or the things you've learned from them is like you're kind of pass- um, keeping them, I, I don't know what's the right way of saying it, like they're alive in the conversation or the act of creation even when they're gone. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, as soon as you understand what they're saying, uh, you have uh, given them uh, existence uh, abroad in the world. Uh, I love it. That, that was great. So, so uh, t- uh, tagging on that f- uh, philosophical conversation, um, you had quoted, I forgot where you said this, but it was um, maybe like a high-level view of nutrition. You know, I think in the diet world, it's like something like eating nutrition is like doing something you don't want to do. And you really want to go to McDonald's and eat that every day. But unfortunately, you know, to solve the problem the person's having, you have to eat the carrot and drink orange juice or something. So uh, there was that quote, and I think I Karen first mentioned it to me, but um, you were talking about Pavlov and eating is our closest interaction with the world. So maybe, I don't know, just your general view of like, what is the meaning to the organism? Uh, like, um, what is nutrition's meaning to the organism in, in, in that kind of way? Uh, yeah, for for many years, uh, I've uh, seen uh, talking about food and understanding what food is doing uh, as an extension uh, of discussing philosophy and politics. Uh, uh, it's uh, a very powerful way of, of getting at the nature of existence and working on improving uh, existence. What do could expanding consciousness be another way for improving existence? Can you go into that a little bit more? Uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, raising your body temperature uh, makes it easier uh, to uh, create uh, new levels of being. Uh, and uh, when you have uh, expanded your uh, understanding, uh, that makes everything you do easier. Uh, things that you don't understand, uh, like uh, uh, opening a door that's uh, latched. If you don't understand the latch, you can't open the door. But uh, once you understand it, then you you can open uh, all the doors with a similar latch. Uh, And so it makes your range of of, uh, meaningful uh, activity uh, much much greater every time you have a a general uh, increase in meaningful uh, understanding. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this is uh, I think you have an, another quote somewhere. It's like the things should make no sense until they make the right sense, you know, and like that, that hundred grams of protein is meaningless 
until it's the most important thing ever, you know? And, and, and so that's, I feel like I've come like, you know, talking to you and incorporating a lot of things that you've written about. I, I feel like I've come, I've maybe I have a cyclical process of thinking something is not important until thinking it's the most important thing on the planet. So, so again, uh, okay. So maybe, okay. We talked about the high level view of nutrition and, and maybe before we get into dietary things, we, you maybe could speak about appetite in general, because I think the dietary things are almost useless in the face of somebody having a, a really suppressed appetite. So what is your general view of um, appetite? Um, I think it comes down to the, uh, the question of uh, our relationship to our cells and our molecules that make us up. And uh, I think eventually we have to start thinking of ourselves as having appetites and judgment and purpose. And that has been demonstrated in unicellular organisms all the way down to bacteria, that they have a planning and judgment and purpose. And if we deny that to our own internal cells, that just seems silly when you can demonstrate it in free living single cells that don't have nervous systems. But our nervous systems are intimately connected to our cells. And we get our motives essentially by listening to our cells. The unconditioned reflexes, it's a message sort of a voting of the intelligent population of cells that we listen to and then execute with things like appetite. Do you think appetite can be equated with desire for life, more or less? Um, basically, the, the the better your appetite, the more the more you want to live, more or less, because um, because you're yeah you're in touch with and and listening to your life process all the way down to uh, uh, molecules. Right, and on a related note, uh, let's say like you have a great appetite, but different days you desire different foods. Do you think there's something more than just beyond the the organism sensing that they need certain nutrients? Maybe certain foods create d- certain different meanings depending on what your body, what your mind and and soul need. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, the, the, the variety is, is a real uh, thing. You're, you're uh, wanting to uh, discover more about the the nature of the universe and the desire for variety is, I think, part of that natural curiosity of ourselves. Um, are you familiar with the customs of the Native American Indians? They believe that, you know, whatever food you eat, and they did eat a lot of animal protein, it kind of gives you a piece of that animal spirit. And they believe that eating um, the, the meat of only one animal, except for bison, was not a very good practice because it sort of uh, kind of crystallizes you and makes you very rigid and unable to fully explore life. So they very much supported variety in their diet. Uh, yeah, have, have you read the experiments of, of McConnell in the 1950s uh, with, with the Worm Runner's Digest uh, uh, was uh, one version of his publication uh, and uh, he, he describes uh, uh, first training uh, uh, planarians uh, to uh, respond in a certain way uh, to light or dark. Uh, 
uh, and then uh, chopping them, the trained planarian up uh, and feeding it to an untrained planarian. Uh, and they gained the knowledge that uh, was intended by the first planarian. So basically memories, that I remember a study that came out about three, three or four years ago that said that the memories are actually uh, stored throughout the entire organism. They're not located in the brain. Uh, uh, right. Uh, uh, the, the different parts of the worm uh, uh, contain the energy. Uh, George Unger uh, uh, followed up uh, McConnell's work uh, w with different organisms. and uh, uh, He found that the uh, nucleic acid, especially RNA composition of a catfish, for example, uh, was changed according to what it was smelling in the water. Uh, and so the, the, the sensed uh, material or the learned material uh, causes molecular changes. And those molecular changes uh, extracted uh, from that organism uh, can uh, produce the same knowledge uh, and uh, pattern reactions uh, to uh, an ignorant organi organism that uh, uh, had been created in the uh, first experiment. So this is similar to Rupert Sheldrake's morphogenic residence, but applied to food? Uh, yeah. Again, I'm not an expert on that idea. Isn't that the idea that the memories are stored like non-locally? So, aren't these ideas incompatible? Uh, no, since you're, uh, he was extracting the brain, but the whole organism is affected by what happens in the brain. Mm -hmm. And you get similar metabolic changes in all parts of the organism. So when a person wakes up in the morning and, or, and all the way till noon and they have no appetite for food, you're saying that it's like the cumulative cells vote um, maybe under the influence of serotonin or something to decrease the rate of me metabolism. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that something, uh, uh, something is going wrong and they have to sit back. Uh, like when bacteria in James Shapiro's uh, experiments... Uh, when he gives them an unmetabolizable uh, sugar, uh, they uh, uh, just sit back and, and wait for two days uh, and then institute a gene change. They don't want to do anything prematurely that isn't necessary. Uh, so they sit back and, and judge, judge the uh, coming future uh, before they change themselves. How do the cells achieve quorum? Is it done strictly through chemical signals or electromagnetic as well? I think both. Uh, uh, one of the uh, things that turned out with uh, experiments by Beatrice Gelber, uh, for example, in, in the 50s and 60s, uh, was that uh, the planarian uh, can see what's happening. Uh, they They have purposive behavior and uh, looking at the source, uh, 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 they can do uh, some things when light is present uh, for interpreting chemical signals that they can't do in the dark, uh, showing that uh, they're they looking around, taking things into account, uh, 
uh, and uh, the, uh, the the anatomy of a single-celled organism uh, uh, for a long time has been known to include uh, the equivalent of a focusing eyeball and and brain. Uh, uh, a professor of mine uh, described uh, me- meeting a, a specialist in uh, amoebas uh, who showed him some uh, uh, photographs, asked him to identify uh, the organism he thought they came from. Uh, and uh, my professor uh, uh, judged a, a, a primitive uh, uh, cord- chordate organism and said that's uh, clearly a chordate uh, eyeball and uh, uh, nerve fibers and so on, uh, and uh, it turned out that his scale, uh, size scale, uh, was off about a hundredfold, uh, and the pictures were actually of the photosensitive spot of an amoeba. <laughs> wow! Uh, what people thought was was just sort of a a, a reflex reaction uh, when light hit that spot. It was actually shining a light in the eyeball of the amoeba, and the fibers from that eyeball connected to a coordination center also grossly recognized. But in the case of the planarian, they were studied for a long time to... Uh, look at uh, epigenetics or, or the inheritance of, of acquired, uh, learned characteristics. Uh, and they were discarded as an experimental uh, organism by about 1950 because it was too clear that they were totally knocking out uh, all of the genetic uh, doctrines and the idea that uh, learning is nothing but an unconscious uh, chemical reflex. Uh, it, uh, uh, their, their purpose uh, and, and judgment uh, and uh, evaluation of a, of a situation uh, was becoming uh, clear, uh, and the uh, mechanistic idea of uh, of how a, a gene controls mechanistic reflexes just wouldn't work. Um, do you think some of the, uh, you know, since we modern humans now are, are being bathed uh, 24-7 in these electromagnetic frequencies, are they capable, at least uh, at some frequency, of interfering with, these, with the cell's ability to form a quorum and, you know, and have purposeful, meaningful development? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I've been thinking about uh, the interactions of uh, our normal uh, internal uh, infrared uh, wavelengths emissions, uh, such that uh, with with an infrared sensitive camera you can uh, see warm organisms as luminous areas in in the dark, uh, and that tremendous emission of of energy in the uh, uh, more or less in, infrared uh, wavelengths. Uh, Calculations and experiments have shown that about three-quarters of our metabolic energy is going out in that form of radiant energy. And the temperature maintained 
that makes that emission possible uh, is also uh, uh, governing the rate of energy metabolism and the uh, the whole signaling system uh, is very responsive to the the emissions from other warm parts of the organism so that for example if you grow a layer of fibroblasts i think they were using they tend to line up parallel to each other uh, and uh, uh, th- when the experimenter uh, uh, grew another uh, on the opposite side of the uh, glass, uh, they plated uh, another uh, bunch of the same kind of cells and found that they tended to align themselves perpendicularly uh, to what was on the other side of the cell uh, of the glass. Uh, so they were receiving uh, obvious signals uh, transmitted through the glass that told them what the orientation uh, that they should take would be. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the person doing this, uh, uh, Gunther uh, Albrecht Bueller, uh, 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 did uh, many things clearly showing that cells uh, have, uh, uh, with regard to infrared energy at least, uh, they, they have a directional uh, 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 I, I equivalent uh, that can see what direction the infrared is coming from, uh, and this is is just a, a, a simple component cell of an organism, such as an, a fibroblast or an epithelial cell, uh, something that cultures easily, uh, and he showed that with a, 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 a under the microscope. Uh, focusing a, a very narrow beam of, of infrared light, he could uh, get uh, these uh, human cells to, ch- to chase it, uh, uh, to, to move uh, with reference uh, to, to a spot of infrared emissions. Uh, uh, so uh, definitely the uh, infrared uh, uh, spectrum is, is part of our internal maintenance of organization. Uh, and and so you don't want uh, to mess with uh, 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 beaming uh, uh, those frequencies uh, through the organism because uh, uh, they'll be taken as uh, a signal for reorganization. Uh, And uh, part of it involves uh, uh, decompacting the uh, uh, compacted uh, nucleic acids uh, of the nucleus uh, and uh, uh, in increasing uh, the expression of, of RNA and proteins. Uh, and so uh, uh, you, you can uh, uh, disrupt basically every, every level of cell organization just with electromagnetic energy. So basically, uh, since depending on the frequency, a specific electromagnetic radiation will probably randomly heat an organ whose cells are of the right size so that they start acting like an antenna, you don't want that because you're randomly heating up a portion of the body and you don't know how those cells and the other cells that are communicating with them, how they would react to this random warming up that doesn't seem to be coming from a coherent activity inside of the organism. 
Uh, right. Uh, when they were studying the damage done by uh, radar uh, beam exposure, uh, uh, they, they uh, had experienced a, a few uh, sailors having their brains cooked when they walked in front of a, a certain wavelength of, of radar antenna, uh, but other uh, wavelengths uh, didn't uh, mess up their brains. Uh, and so they experimented and found that uh, the size of the organ uh, resonates with the wavelength, uh, so that a, a monkey with a, a small brain uh, could be killed by a, a higher frequency that, that wouldn't uh, uh, severely damage a, a human with a big brain. So the higher the frequency, not only we're getting closer to ionizing radiation, but there's a higher chance that some cells in the organism would be of the quote-unquote right size and then react negatively. Uh, yeah, cell or part of the cell. By part of the cell, okay. So, well, if it's part of the cell, is it possible that even non-ionizing radiation, if it's of the right frequency, can cause DNA damage even though it's non-ionizing? Uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, blue light, for example, does uh, damage DNA. Okay. Wow, so there's no there's no safe electromagnetic frequency. I mean, lo long-term exposure, I guess it's... It's not possible to completely avoid it, but uh, it's certainly not a good idea to to sit there for for long periods of time. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, daylight I, I think is uh, perfectly safe if you don't o overexpose the ultraviolet and blue part of the spectrum. Okay, what do you think of? Uh, I don't know if you've seen these papers, which got immediately retracted. Uh, they were published in around May of 2020. Uh, I think it was a team of Italian researchers which said that 5G is now uh, of the right frequency to cause holes inside of the cell, and then the cell reacts by plugging these holes by producing endogenous viral particles that just happen to match almost perfectly the uh, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Do you think that there's any truth to that? Uh, I, probably, uh, if they had the, uh, the data that led them to submit it for publication, I, I would suspect that the the, the editors just didn't like it. Yeah, it was sitting published for about a month, and then there was this huge outcry on social media. Uh, of course, where else would be coming from? Uh, the cancel culture, and then they forced the National Library of Medicine, the PubMed people, to uh, to to retract it. It's still there, but it just has this big retraction notice uh, written all over it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, speaking of EMF, <clears throat> isn't uh, part of the problem... I mean, I've read this. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the it placing calcium where it's not supposed to be? It's it's loading the cal the cell up with calcium, and so therefore, eating a high calcium diet would be, and taking vitamin D would would be two things to help mitigate the effects of our ultra saturated environment with all these different types of EMF. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, one of the things that uh, vitamin D and calcium in the diet uh, accomplish is to reduce parathyroid hormone, uh, and parathyroid hormone, uh, under the influence of any kind of inflammation-promoting uh, signal, uh, uh, turns down uh, energy production, uh, r reduces oxidative phosphorylation. Uh, and so uh, eating calcium and vitamin D uh, will uh, uh, tend to restore uh, mitochondrial uh, energy production, uh, helping the cell to keep calcium out of the uh, cells. 
So let me, okay, so this is kind of my, um, please correct me at any point if you do not agree with this, um, but these are some of the points that I thought I've gathered from listening to you and, re- and reading you over the years. And so if somebody, like basic requirements for a human living in 2021, obviously gathering pulse and temperature, like it, it's a loss without those things. Like if you, if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know where you are, um, I think that's a quote from you. <laughs> and then- uh, and you've, you've said many times, maybe a hundred grams of protein and quoted a military studies. Um, and then maybe two to three times the amount of carbohydrate, obviously favoring sugars over starches, uh, 1500 to 2000 milligrams or more of calcium and obviously favoring calcium over phosphorus. And it's very easy to get an abundance of phosphorus, which like you just talked about, will turn on the parathyroid hormone among other things. Um, I don't know specifically uh, your thoughts on fat. And so maybe we could dive like a fat gram amount per se for, for again, a basic requirements for a person living in 2021. Uh, If we had a a source of pure uh, uh, palmitic and stearic acid, especially stearic acid or higher saturated fats, uh, I think they would be safe. Uh, We could uh, produce our own, N uh, uh, minus uh, uh, nine uh, uh, polyunsaturated fats, uh, which are the ones uh, normally produced extensively in the brain uh, and are substituted uh, uh, through time uh, and eating uh, by the uh, N minus six and N minus three unstable uh, uh, polyunsaturated fats. Uh, So uh, with oleic acid, uh, palmitic and stearic acid uh, uh, fats are pretty uh, safe uh, and a, a compact form of uh, e- energy uh, availability and storage. Uh, uh, and some experiments uh, show that, uh, uh, like Hans Selye showed that uh, uh, cocoa butter rich in uh, uh, stearic acid uh, protected uh, heart uh, against the damage caused by linoleic uh, uh, a dietary PUFA, uh, just adding the extra stearic acid uh, had a protective uh, anti-heart necrosis action. Uh, and uh, more recent uh, experiments show that uh, uh, the visceral fat uh, percentage can be reduced uh, by increasing uh, stearic acid in the diet. Uh, and to some extent, uh, uh, an excess of uh, stearic acid uh, tends to support subcutaneous fat, uh, which is the, uh, uh, the appearance that a, a very healthy uh, child has, for example, uh, 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 giving their, their skin uh, smoothness and, and shapeliness and so on. Is the is the gaunt look of of the of older very sick people uh, due to the fact that they're rapidly losing subcutaneous fat but uh, but gaining visceral one? Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it uh, decreases uh, under the skin uh, where it has actual purpose, uh, uh, insulation and uh, uh, elasticity and so on, uh, and and it uh, uh, creates. Uh, uh, the organ-defending uh, internal abdominal uh, sort of fat. 
assuming you could get a good source of saturated fat, would you feel comfortable putting a gram number or a, a, a range that you felt comfortable maybe for a hypometabolic person, or is it purely based on experimentation? Yeah, yeah, it would just be since I've never had the opportunity to to have a, a, a pleasant tasting, uh, pure saturated fat. But uh, I would guess uh, you could eat a lot of it. What about in the case that you could not get that? Like, is there is okay? So maybe I'll rephrase this question. What about non-activating the Randall cycle or being as efficient with your energy as possible? Like, what what would you would you feel comfortable uh, making a suggestion I, I, for that? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, sugar uh, is my current uh, uh, understanding of what what is most protective. Uh, 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 stress uh, tends to increase your circulating free fatty acids, uh, activating the, uh, the the Randall effect, uh, blocking the ability to uh, use sugar for energy, uh, and uh, increasing the sugar in your diet. Uh, tends to lower the uh, uh, lip, lipolytic activity, keeps the fat uh, where it belongs, uh, and uh, prevents the Randall uh, shift to fat oxidation. Uh, and so it uh, maximizes uh, your uh, uh, carbon dioxide production, uh, which keeps your stress-producing lactic acid uh, inhibited. Those uh, vegan and vegetarian authors for diabetes, sometimes they'll say, you know, if your blood sugar is out of control or something, you're eating too much fat. And then they'll recommend ridiculously low amounts, like 10 or 20 grams. Uh, obviously, they're, they're probably onto something with that. But do you think there's a middle ground um, that for longevity and, ta- and, and taste in general, maybe around, I don't know, sub 100 or something? Would you feel comfortable with that? Uh, 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 with how much? Like sub 100 grams or so. Or so. Uh, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> the the uh, it, if you include uh, oleic acid and stearic and palmitic, uh, I think something around an ounce would probably be ideal. But I don't think there would be any harm. Uh, up to uh, uh, even a, a thousand calories per day. Okay, last. Do you have something to say? Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Ray, but isn't the problem with most di- type 2 diabetics and obese people in general, it's not the amount of fat they consume after okay. already getting obese, uh, but the fact that they're under chronically elevated lipolytic state under the influence of cortisol and estrogen. And in that case, eating more saturated fat would actually help because it will increase the ratio of the saturated fat to PUFA in the bloodstream and will mitigate a lot of these effects of lipolysis, which mostly uh, liberates PUFA from the stores, right? Uh, uh, Yeah, Uh, and the PUFA uh, is a promoter of estrogenic effects uh, in many different ways. Uh, uh, It activates the estrogen process. Quick question about uh, um, androgens, and uh, as, as you uh, probably know, bodybuilders are notoriously averse to dieting or at the very caloric restriction, and they abuse steroids in order to to uh, sort of like lose weight and gain lean mass. Considering the fact that both testosterone and DHT and progesterone are anti-lipolytic, 
under what mechanism do you think they are capable of causing rapid fat loss um, without really like increasing fat burning and fat oxidation? There must be some other mechanism going on there. Uh, uh, yeah, the the, um, uh, uh, the liver, uh, when it's uh, well nourished uh, uh, and uh, activated by uh, uh, thyroid rather than uh, estrogen effects, <clears throat> uh, the liver uh, can harmlessly uh, excrete uh, PUFA, uh, any PUFA that uh, appears in your bloodstream uh, can be recognized by the liver as a toxin uh, and uh, inactivated uh, by uh, attaching uh, uh, glucuronic acid to it, for example, uh, and causing it to be excreted in the urine. So the androgens are basically protecting the liver and allowing it to be able to excrete more and more PUFA. Uh, yeah, uh, and... Uh, uh, the thyroid uh, and uh, progesterone uh, and aspirin, uh, such things, uh, worked in that direction. Have you seen the uh, studies, uh, the human studies from the 1960s from Italy, showing that they, uh, this this group there was capable of curing even advanced cases of cirrhosis by injecting testosterone and vitamin B1? Seems reasonable. I, 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 I've known a couple of people who, uh, one had a very big uh, belly that his, his doctor said was uh, a totally cirrhotic, hard liver uh, from 50 years of using heroin and alcohol constantly every day. Uh, and uh, uh, a period of about five or six months of, of using T3 and progesterone uh, every day in fairly uh, large amounts uh, his doctor said he couldn't find any sign of cirrhosis at the end of about five or six months. Was he uh, using the progesterone in vitamin E as per your formulation, or was this another one? Uh, uh, yeah, he, he came to my house and on Christmas Eve and brought a few quarts of wine and, and beer with him <laughs> uh, in, case, in case we didn't have enough. <laughs> and, uh, so he finished that by bedtime, uh, and <laughs> as he went to bed, I, I gave him a bottle of, of progesterone and told him to uh, use whatever felt right. Uh, and uh, in the morning I came out, he was already in the kitchen, uh, sitting at the table, smiling, said he never came off a drunk without a hangover <laughs> in uh, 50 years or 40, 40 years of, of being addicted. Wow. Do you know how much he used, like uh, uh, average half, on a daily basis? Half, half a bottle the first time. <laughs> oh, half a bottle the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and he went on using uh, about two bottles a week uh, during uh, that period of a few months. Uh, and uh, I asked him if he, he wasn't having any uh, 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 suppressive effects on his libido. And he said, no, none at all. Didn't you say he was also using maybe 50 micrograms of T3 in the morning and then again at night? Uh, so he was using progesterone and T3? Uh, yeah, and he was also having his doctor inject uh, magnesium. magnesium. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the biological addiction imbalance newsletter. I remember that so well because um, I think, like, so, so this, I don't want to go on a, a rat hole here. Were you going to say something, Jordy? 
Uh, no, I was going to ask about the polycosinos because I've seen some some similar studies that showing that they they can completely prevent the obesity from a high fat diet where the where the calories from from fat were uh, basically sixty to seventy percent. It was almost all of it PUFA, and they fed the animals the human equivalent of about half a gram, which is pretty high, of polycosinos, and those animals actually got leaner. Than, than even the ones eating the regular food. And and I was wondering what the mechanism might might be, but I suspect it's probably, again, it's protecting the liver through, from peroxidation. Yeah, I think it's the same effect as the stearic acid, only more concentrated, super-saturated, longer-chain, super-saturated, yeah, long-chain alcohol in that case, which is converted to a, a fatty acid. Yep. You just answered what would be my, my my other question. There's an old older study from the 50s which didn't directly say that, but hinted that fully saturated fats, the longer the chain, the more potent they are. So instead of eating, say, 50 grams of stearic acid, you could probably get similar effects from, like, I don't know, 50 milligrams of polycosinol. Something like that, yeah. Okay. What about, um, isn't hypothyroidism associated with a gallbladder disease? What if somebody has a bad gallbladder? They should probably eat less fat, right? Uh, uh, yeah, take, taking thyroid clears it up uh, very quickly and predictably. And uh, and that's uh, you would know that if you were passing kind of lightly clay colored stool. Is that right? You, that, would that in, <laughs> indicate a specific problem with the gallbladder? Uh, uh, yeah, a, a very serious, uh, deep problem, uh, which goes with high estrogen uh, very often. Uh, but uh, uh, getting getting liver back uh, to metabolizing properly, uh, the uh, uh, gallbladder uh, responds quickly, uh, and uh, you can uh, uh, within just a few days you you can start tolerating uh, fats in your diet and uh, lose all of the gallbladder symptoms. Interesting. Okay, so fat th- this would obviously take a lot of experimentation. So. Something I, I maybe you are more um, suggestive of, or, or uh, I don't know what the right phrasing would be, the 100 grams of protein. So what, what happens, uh, you, you've said a few times that eating less than that um, makes the liver think you're starving. Is that right? So, so what, what is, have you figured out, or what is your hypothesis of the significance of around that number for liver health? Uh, uh, when you, you're, uh, it, it probably depends on the balance of of amino acids, but when your body senses a protein deficiency, it turns on the proteolytic enzymes so that it takes down your thymus gland, lymph nodes, muscles, skin, all of the expendable, momentarily expendable proteins are converted to the essential amino acids. Uh, 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 which your brain uh, uh, and uh, essential organs, lung and heart, uh, 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 need to uh, keep keep working. Uh, uh, so uh, the the sensed uh, protein deficiency uh, is a, essentially a proteolytic state, uh, which takes takes your whole body down. And maybe in an uh, maybe Doesn't the liver also need dietary protein specifically to produce sufficient amounts of albumin? Oh, oh sure, uh, uh, but combined with with uh, uh, thyroid function. 
Right, right. Because uh, some people would say like, hey, well, what's the problem with uh, not eating enough protein? Obviously, you know, you, you, you can, because since you have protein on yourself, the body can use it to, you know, sh- shred it and then and then convert it into albumin. But human studies have shown that if you, that in starving people, despite their blood levels of amino acids going really high from the high cortisol, cortisol actually suppresses the synthesis of albumin. So all of this, all of these amino acids end up getting oxidized as fuel, which is really bad because it generates all this ammonia. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, uh, estrogen is another uh, suppressor of, of albumin. Uh, it, it goes with high cortisol. Would you revise this up upwards, or do you feel still feel comfortable with a hundred? Is that like a good uh, base amount, or or what do you think? Well, that, that in the military study, that was uh, for even little people working at a desk job. Uh, that was. Required for efficiency, mm-hmm. uh, and they didn't uh, say what uh, a, a better. Uh, that was just the minimum for uh, work efficiency. Would it depend on weight, though? Like a, a bulkier, heavier person with more muscle mass, oh, they oh, sure. probably wouldn't. Okay. Yeah, and maybe age too, right? I think in old newsletter with Lita Lee, you said you said maybe 120, 150 was even more appropriate for an older person. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, the hundred was was just the the minimum for efficiency. Is there a point at which this dietary protein can cause kidney issues in a hypothyroid person? Uh, uh, Broda Barnes experimented uh, uh, eating a lot more meat uh, in his diet. He found he had to double his uh, thyroid dose. (laughs) (laughs) So it's very easy to overdo the protein, uh, displacing uh, a carbohydrate, I imagine, is, is what was happening and liberating the thyroid-suppressing uh, tryptophan, cysteine, and methionine. Uh, so, uh, uh, as far as I know, experiments using uh, natural gelatin as a protein, lashing those anti-thyroid amino acids, uh, uh, they could tolerate uh, a fairly... Uh, uh, higher higher dose of protein. So speaking of the gelatin, um, since it's deficient on those inflammatory amino acids, is there like a ratio of of the gelatin to the rest of the protein as part of the total that you that you think is more beneficial? Let's say like seventy percent of protein may come from gelatin, and then the other thirty from a complete protein that contains all of the essential amino acids. Uh, probably, and I think that uh, changes with age and activity level. A, 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 a young person who, who is growing in very uh, high metabolic rate uh, uh, n- needs more of the uh, methionine, cysteine, tryptophan uh, type protein. So for an adult, uh, is there any role physiologically needed for tryptophan aside from producing niacin, which people can take as a supplement? A, a little bit uh, for tissue replacement. So there is a minimum amount of tryptophan that, that everybody needs. Uh, yeah, make, making hair and uh, skin and, and gut cells that have to be shed. Okay. Um, for methionine, the human studies found out that most people don't need more than 2 milligrams per kilogram of body weight daily. Of course, we all ingest a lot more than that, so it shows you that, that you know we can do a lot better. Is there any, any guideline you can do for tryptophan? Have you seen any studies on that? 
uh, it's pretty much the same uh, when you reduce uh, uh, any of those three amino acids to a minimum uh, life expectancy in the animal experiment, experiments goes up tremendously. Is there any way for somebody to gauge if they're becoming too deficient on tryptophan? Let's say they're abusing the gelatin and they're eating too much of it? Uh, well, uh, digestion is uh, usually the first thing to go wrong. Uh, they'll start getting gas or, or some digestive uh, symptom, uh, which could be that they're uh, uh, not replacing the lining of the intestine uh, fast enough to make digestion uh, work smoothly. G- a gelatin abuse. <laughs> okay, gelatin junkie. <laughs> well, uh, so moving on from protein, um, I, I don't know where I got this number from. You know, uh, correct me if this is not even something you've ever said before. But re- maybe, maybe you talked about the two hundred fifty in the eight, the monkey experiments where their cortisol would increase. And so again, I know this is pa- painting a huge, a huge, um, a broad statement from <laughs> thousands of different people experiencing diff- different intensities of stress, having different generational backgrounds and transgenerational histories of stress and things. But is, is there maybe a base amount of carbohydrate you think a person needs to function? Again, living in our PUFA laden, stress laden, uh, EMF laden culture. I've experimented on people with a 100-gram carbohydrate diet, and I don't think that was even close to a good health level. It helped them lose weight, but it was partly protein weight. The... I think it's probably around uh, that range of two or three hundred uh, that's minimum. Then what does it mean when a person needs way more than that, like 400 or 500? Does that mean just their liver isn't efficient at storing glycogen or they're under chronic stress or, or what? Um, or, or they just have a, a very intense uh, metabolic rate. Uh, if you're consuming uh, oxygen at twice the rate of, of normal uh, then it would be reasonable to uh, expect that you need uh, closer to a pound of carbohydrate per day. And then similar to protein, would you expect, so say say somebody's as healthy as they possibly could be in our current situation, <laughs> say like moving forward, would you expect them to increase the carbohydrate content getting into older age, or would you expect them to decrease the carbohydrate content? I, I think increasing it is helpful. Interesting. Um, okay, is it? Do you have uh, any specific carbohydrate or sugar questions, Georgie? Yes, yes, I do. Uh, what is your view of the some of the sugar alcohols that are present in some some fruits that are being used as a as um, relief from constipation? Let's say prune juice, and I think it contains sorbitol. Um, is there any problem with people using that for for uh, relieving occasional constipation instead of or on top of the carrot salad? Uh, if it works as a laxative, uh, you're going to uh, absorb very little of it, uh, but uh, it, it does have some potential harmful effects. Uh, uh, so uh, I think uh, uh, unless you need it as a regular laxative, I think it's better to uh, use just the cellulose fibers. 
So I'm, I'm actually, I am asking specifically as a laxative. Some people are saying it's very convenient to carry around, you know, a, a bottle of prune juice. It, it, you can find it in almost any store, um, you know, if, if you're traveling or something like that. Would that well, and most of sorbitol is not getting absorbed, is from what I understand. So is, would, would there be a problem using that as a natural uh, laxative uh, remedy? Uh, yeah, yeah, as long as it's uh, uh, having the effect of uh, emptying your bowel. Uh, that means it's uh, mostly not being absorbed. Uh, but but if it doesn't work as a laxative, then uh, it uh, 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 would tend to get pushed into your tissues. Okay. So using it as a laxative, do you see any problem with that? Uh, no. Okay. Um, do you know of any other fruits that are uh, that may have the, this laxative effect but not being due to the fiber, maybe by uh, decreasing inflammation or something similar? Uh, none that I am aware of, but it's a, a definite possibility. Okay. So aside from, so I guess things like cascara are known, but because they contain the emotions. Um I read something about rhubarb juice from like rhubarb root may, may be able to do the same. I think the main activity is an emodin like substance. That it also contains, is that why it's red? Because it may, maybe contains emodin? Uh, probably, I, I'm not sure what the main uh, red pigment is, but uh, it could be that uh, the emodin is part of the color. Uh, the, the, the root, which contains uh, a lot of emodin-like chemical, uh, I don't know what the color is. Okay. Um, and another question about potential antibacterial effects of some of the sugar alcohols like xylitol. Uh, since it's not absorbed, people are using it as a mouthwash to kill the oral bacteria. Um, would there be a, a potential beneficial effect on using it as an as a I don't know over the counter antibiotic because it does it does seem to kill pretty broad spectrum of bacteria. Some people react badly to it, and I don't know whether it's the xylitol itself or, or impurities from its manufacturing origin. Okay. Uh, say, Ray, you can't get sweet oranges. What are the other carbohydrate sources that you can eat in abundance that you feel comfortable with? Nixtamalized uh, uh, corn <laughs> is, is my uh, favorite uh, safe uh, uh, star starch uh, uh, or carbohydrate equivalent uh, because the, the the lime process or lye treatment. Uh, 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 degrade so many of the, the toxic factors. What about frying the starchy foods in saturated fat like butter or coconut oil? Would that decrease their propensity to cause issues? Uh, um, yeah, the, the uh, uh, uncooked or undercooked uh, starch grains, uh, persorption is one of the risks. Uh, and having it with fat uh, uh, decreases the uh, ability of it to cross the lining of the intestine. Well, what about um, this, the status of orange juice concentrate? Do you think that's safe to consume right now? Uh, yeah, especially if it's from sweet oranges. Uh, yeah, so, okay. So I, I've never seen that here in Mexico. Did you ever see it when you were here? Uh, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's many good oranges that would be silly. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's hard to find. Maybe it's just San Miguel, but right now all the oranges are just uh, super sour. 
And so I'm hoping in, in June and July things uh, change up. But again, it could be uh, Gringo Central San Miguel where, where that's happening. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they think uh, sour oranges <laughs> are preferred by <laughs> gringos. Or, or gringos are the only ones not smart enough to buy them. <laughs> very possible. Yeah. Very, very yeah. possible. I, I, I've been thinking about the, the meaning of ingesting uh, citric acid. Uh, we make it uh, ourselves, but it stays within the uh, mitochondrion. But when you eat it uh, as a chelator, uh, it can drag all sorts of uh, toxic metals uh, uh, into your bloodstream and all the way through your cells, uh, and uh, then being oxidized in the mitochondrion, it would be leaving behind whatever junk it dragged in with it. I'm really glad you mentioned that. So the sour orange juice is higher in citric acid, and that is why it causes irritation? Is that why? Yeah. Okay. And Uh, uh, People say that we produce citric acid normally, but it's a compartment thing. It's very, very isolated, and in the wrong place, it has very bad effects. And I, and I hate to be redundant, but maybe we can emphasize how cr- critical that is, maybe especially for somebody with bad digestion. You know, I, I think people kind of laugh at that idea that it's, th- it's that important. But some of those some of the emails, you know, that I get that are like, oh, oh my God, this changed my life are s- not drinking sour or tart orange juice. And so uh, maybe I don't know your, your thoughts on if that's important to emphasize or not. Uh- I don't know. More study would bring out more dangers of eating it, but many of the medical calcium supplements were taken in the form of calcium citrate, and I think those were doing more harm than good, even though they were getting extra calcium. Because, oh, you know what? One last question, uh, random, but related to sugars. Do you know if they changed the Mexican Coke recipe? I, uh, somebody asked that, and I thought it, I didn't think so. And then somebody else who lives here told me that he, they thought they had. And then upon tasting it now, it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And so now I, I kind of think they did. You know, do you know anything about that? Nope, I haven't heard anything about it. So I noticed something similar in the United States. I so when I walk, there's a local Latin American store, and they're the only ones that are carrying. Now actually, CVS also carries the Mexican Coke, but it's it's very short on supply. But this local Latin American store has it in cases, and I would go there and buy several cases. And then I think I was the only one buying it because after a few weeks they ran out, <laughs> and then they replaced it with Guatemalan Coke, which had these like uh, 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 paper labels uh, in English. Uh, pasted on top of the original label and then that coke tastes horrifically it tastes like there's some kind of a metal it leaves a very strong metallic taste Mm -hmm. even though the ingredients listed on the label are the same is it a possibility that it has like a heavy metal contamination oh sure (laughs) Uh, uh, for years the the, uh, uh, corn syrup uh, was made with a a metal catalyst that was uh, some of it was left in the syrup uh, and so people were being uh, heavy metal poisoned. Wow, that's terrible. Uh, quick question about the the acids. Um, 
would other acids that give tart taste, such as malic acid or even acetic acid, so malic acid present in unripe apples or grapes, would it also have a potential detrimental chelating effect sim similar to what you said about citric acid? Because those are also metabolized in the mitochondria. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the ones that are uh, have have two or three uh, uh, acid groups. Uh, citric acid is the most effective chelator, but uh, the the double uh, uh, acid molecules uh, can can have a chelating action, uh, succinic, for example. But uh, acetic acid is toxic in its own right, uh, in excess. So there's a succinic acid. Um, are some countries using it as a as a uh, drug? I think former Soviet countries sell it as a anti hangover remedy or something like that. Uh, anti what? Anti hangover remedy um, for for being able to uh, to to basically increase the speed of the Krebs cycle. Oh, oh uh, I hadn't hadn't heard about that, but I, I I've often seen people promoting it for one reason or another. But uh, uh, it, it is a, a potentially disruptive, uh, toxic. Uh, uh, short-chain saturated fatty acid. Yeah, to finish that thought, the Coke tastes, tastes more effervescent and less, uh, but like there's less of a botanical like bite to it. So like what I loved about Coke doesn't seem to be there anymore. So it's a huge loss. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, 1939 or 40, when I first tasted Coke, uh, the impression was very uh, herbal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that, that was decreased sometime in, in the late 40s, I think. Total shame. Do you think some of the colas, which many other brand, brands are now promoting, and they're trying to mimic the, the taste and probably even the formula of Coke? Because let's face it, uh, rich companies can do a full analysis of the Coke uh, product and probably can come up with a counterfeit product close enough with a bootleg version of it. Um do you, do, you do you know of any other drink that has similar taste slash effects to the Mexican Coke that could be obtained from a store? Uh, no, I haven't tried uh, any of the alternatives. Okay. Okay, um, so moving on a little bit to, to wrap up this dietary stuff. Um, maybe another part of your, I don't know, I don't nutrition philosophy. <laughs> I don't know if you, what do we want to call it. But is uh, like regular consumption of, I'm using air quotes here, but like supplemental foods like liver, oysters, and eggs. And the general idea being when you increase the rate of metabolism, uh, not only that, would that, could that solve nutritional deficiencies, but also you might, you need more tr nutrition. Is that, is that right? Uh, uh, certain things mm -hmm. uh, you do, do need uh, more, uh, but uh, uh, the, the, uh, higher energy metabolism uh, makes you need uh, 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 less of anything. For example, uh, when your thyroid level is proper uh, and your vitamin D, uh, your cells are able to hang on to uh, magnesium. Uh, so a low thyroid person, uh, even supplementing uh, large amounts of, of magnesium, uh, they will quickly, in a week or so, uh, become deficient in magnesium on a normal uh, average diet. Uh, uh, but when your thyroid is up, uh, your cells uh, need uh, uh, very very little 
replenishment of magnesium because it's stuck in the cells. But other things, the turnover of carbohydrate and protein have to go up directly with your metabolic rate. And uh, so liver, you know, a, a rundown of that is like the, the vitamin A, the selenium, the copper, the B vitamins, and then oysters is the zinc, the selenium, the copper, and, and together those foods fortify a person's nutrition, um, ameliorating possibly many different dietary de- deficiencies in two, two foods. Is that right? Uh, uh, yeah. The, the idea basically is that it's too complicated to calculate uh, in terms of uh, individual things. It's, it's very satisfying and sort of spectacular when you can uh, bring someone out of, of a dying state with one, one nutritional supplement, but uh, uh, most of the time that, that can't be, uh, you don't have that much luck. Uh, so the, uh, the shotgun effect of, of eggs and liver and, and shellfish uh, it's very uh, important to uh, fill in what you don't know. I want to talk about liver a little bit more, but is there something about oysters or liver that make them more difficult to digest? Uh, maybe it's the, the iron content, or do you think that's even true? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's the, the low fat content of mm-hmm. the liver, especially mm-hmm. uh, the high protein uh, uh, gives you strong uh, signals uh, and uh, requires a, a lot of extra sugar uh, and and preferably some saturated fat uh, to go with it to slow down the absorption uh, and uh, uh, make the digestion happen without stress. And a uh, random question, but would you consider liver without gelatin to be risky or is that, you think that's relatively safe? Uh, I, I just make sure to uh, have lots of uh, uh, butter uh, or other fat uh, and uh, sugar. Uh, ice cream, for example, uh, uh, after eating some liver. Uh, otherwise, I've noticed it disturbs my sleep mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. With, with hypoglycemia or, or something. In terms of oysters, what do you think is like a, a good uh, rule of thumb for, for how often and how much uh, does a person need to get sufficient amounts of copper, copper, and maybe selenium? Oh, uh, for for copper and, and selenium, uh, once a week is enough. Uh, and how much would you eat? Like a dozen? Uh, 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 just um, uh, probably two or three ounces once a week is enough for those. Okay. So maybe that's a little bit less than uh, that's a downward revision. Maybe two or three ounces. Well, it, it wouldn't hurt to have uh, have a big big bowl of them, but that that's the, the minimal. Is there any risk to eating once a week, like having like a full meal of of, of nothing but oysters and I don't know some some you know excluding the carbs? Would it be a problem to have like most of your protein at a dinner meal coming from oysters? Uh, and no, uh, considering that the the iron content is also very high. Uh, you just have to take that into account. So oysters are high on iron too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Super random question, but do you uh, what kind? Do you use the Crown Prince ones in olive oil for your oysters? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm 
uh, even the last two or three years. How do you, or do you, get rid of the olive oil in, in those? I, I just open the, the can of crack and, and drain it thoroughly. And then super random, but do you have some preparation that you enjoy with the oysters? Oh, just having it with cheese. Uh, cheese and orange juice uh, makes a, a really nice meal. Do you heat them up, or do you just kind of eat them out of the can? Uh, out of the can, cold. Would would eating uh, would heating them actually be a bad idea because of the olive oil? No. Okay. Good to know. Okay, just wrapping up a bunch of bows. Uh, I I do mine. I use use the same brand. I drench the. I mean, I drain the olive oil the same way Ray does. But I basically throw a spoon tablespoon of salt on top of them and then fill up the can with uh, with vinegar and then I just eat them <laughs> like a salad oh oh, very nice yeah, yeah I, I tend to salt mine or, or eat them with extremely salty cheese yeah I found out that if I eat a lot of oysters without enough salt for some reason just like for you Ray the liver gave you uh, insomnia same thing happened to me with the oysters but if I put enough salt that doesn't happen I sleep deeply mm-hmm so uh, just a uh, go ahead, Ray. Uh, uh, salt and, and gelatin are both very helpful for good sleep. Do you have a <laughs> keeping with the theme of the show? Do you have a, a amount of salt that you think is maybe necessary for minimal functioning of a person? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> you can adapt. You can adapt very well. Uh, uh, when I worked in the woods, uh, our uh, cook was obsessed w- with the fact that sweating people uh, needed extra salt because of what they lost. And so he put a, a heaping spoonful in our porridge every morning and, and then wouldn't give us our uh, ham and eggs and pancakes if we didn't finish our porridge. Uh, uh, and uh, that was, uh, I, I found that I was uh, had so much salt in my sweat that it was crystallizing on my glasses, obscuring <laughs> uh, 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 my vision and, and uh, uh, making my arm hairs uh, crystalline and white. Uh, and uh, that seemed, uh, uh, besides the uh, awful taste, uh, I uh, decided over one weekend uh, to tell him that uh, my doctor had put me on a low-salt diet. <laughs> so uh, after that, I was the only one who got good porridge in the morning. <laughs> And uh, immediately, just over the weekend, uh, I had been having uh, having to eat salt tablets in the afternoon uh, after pouring out such concentrated salt uh, water. Uh, I would uh, start fainting if I didn't eat salt tablets. And just over the weekend, uh, uh, I didn't need salt tablets in the afternoon. Uh, and my, my sweat was like distilled water. In 2021, uh, Bill Gates is going to give you vaccines in your porridge <laughs> instead of the salt. Okay, so um, wrapping up a few other things here. Um, One question about salt. Um, there, there's some recent human studies that, that claim that anything less than five grams of elemental sodium daily activates chronically the Iranian angiotensin aldosterone system. Would you agree with that? Oh, oh, for sure. That tiny amount uh, brings up your anxiety and inflammation. So salt is definitely uh, anxiolytic and anti-inflammatory. And uh, and a population in Mongolia, uh, for example, the people uh, don't have any problem with hypertension and they eat an average of about 30 grams of salt per day. 
Isn't is it uh, one teaspoon four grams? So is that right? Four or five. Okay. Okay. So at least one teaspoon, um, basic. So the what I said earlier about the fifteen hundred to two thousand milligrams. Uh, I know you think even more would be good. Like, what what do you think? I don't know for a specific health problem or the general aging process or anti stress in two thousand twenty one. What would you think? There's um, I don't know twenty five twenty five hundred or three thousand. Is that even better? Uh, yeah, I always get at least uh, twenty five hundred. Uh, and uh, sometimes 5,000 of calcium. <laughs> so that'd well, be like three quarts like of milk. Like a Maasai warrior. Like a Maasai warrior. Right. They they often get more than that. That'd be, what, a gallon of milk and then some cheese as well? Yeah. And the benefit of getting even more, not only suppressing parathyroid hormone, prolactin, aldosterone, et cetera, but is, um, what is it, activating those uncoupling mitochondrial proteins? Uh, yeah, it works with sodium uh, to do that. Good stuff. Okay, just scanning through to um, kind of... Speaking of sodium, because I told Danny I'm going to ask you this question. <laughs> Since all of these electrolytes can s- sort of partially fill in for each other, do you think lithium can do a lot of these things at much lower amounts that uh, that yeah. sodium and, and calcium can do? I, I used to call it super sodium uh, from some of its effects uh, that the body... Uh, senses a smaller amount of that uh, as a larger amount of sodium. Uh, But uh, its it's effects uh, on serotonin, I think, uh, are a drawback to uh, having much of it in your diet. Uh, Does it uh, decrease the uptake of serotonin or does it increase its production? Uh, 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 Its effects, uh, I I think, partly uh, from uh, uh, affecting the retention of it in uh, uh, platelets. Okay. Uh, I'm reading the uh, comments here on this episode right now, and somebody's asking about uh, magnesium and the suppression of parathyroid, or I'm actually kind of adding on to their question, but uh, mag- magnesium suppressing the parathyroid hormone versus calcium. And so isn't the magnesium is the basic um, calcium channel blocker. So so maybe the calcium going into the cell is is part of turning on the parathyroid hormone, but just eating more calcium would be maybe the more straightforward way of lowering parathyroid hormone? Uh, uh, yeah, that's what has been studied most. Uh, 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 calcium uh, in, in the diet uh, tending to uh, offset the effect of uh, phosphate. Uh, and uh, uh, magnesium uh, uh, has very parallel effects. Uh, I think the combination of a moderate amount of magnesium uh, with calcium, uh, assuming your thyroid is uh, is responding properly, uh, uh, is the most effective. But you wouldn't consider magnesium as like the par excellence PTH inhibitor, would you? It could be, but I, I don't I haven't seen enough uh, evidence of that. But it's also the question of absorption and retention, right? It's calcium that even in a hypothyroid person can be easily absorbed and retained and used to lower PTH. While if you're hypothyroid, you may load up on magnesium all you want, but other than getting diarrhea, you're not going to achieve much, right? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and you lose it. Uh, whatever gets into your cells uh, stays there a very short time and, and is lost quickly. So there's a reason so many different dietary camps are... Um, all agree on supplementing calcium 
they're probably hypometabolic. They're supplementing calcium and they're just losing it and they just have to continuously supplement it. You mean magnesium? Magnesium, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah and to some extent, uh, calcium uh, goes out as your stress hormones go up. So uh, the some people have reported, um, especially uh, you know on, on various online uh, places, that their, their their blood calcium is at their at the upper end of the normal range or slightly above, and their doctor is basically telling them, "Oh, it's nothing. To, we don't know what is causing it. If it's too high, the doctor starts worrying that it's that it's some kind of a tumor. But if it's like slightly elevated, the doctor says, "I don't know what's causing it, but I wouldn't worry about it." W- what's your take on that? That you should worry about it. <laughs> you should worry about it. Okay. Yeah, because it's probably uh, decreasing in your bones and increasing in your brain and arteries. So, what do you think may be causing this mild hypercalcemia? Uh, uh, not enough calcium and vitamin D in your diet, mostly. Okay. Well, what about high estrogen and cortisol since they shed the bone as well? Mm hmm. And prolactin, probably too, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, we'll wrap this up really soon. Um, unless, Georgia, you have something other to talk about. I just wanted to just quickly reference this. I was reading one of your um, references, Ray. I, I can't read the title. It's like too small on my page. It's, about, it's a paper talking about inflammaging. And anyways, I thought this was like kind of like a breakdown, like a really easy to understand breakdown of um, all the things we talk about. You, you say in one of your newsletters, the weak oxidative metabolism and hypothyroidism makes it easy uh, to enter a state of reductive stress with a shift towards a higher concentration of LA, uh, NADH and lactate. Uh, dot, 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 and prostaglandins, cytokines, estrogen, and nitric oxide are produced in coordinated ways, uh, uh, and cellular behavior uh, behaviors are changed defensively. And I looked that out, up after reading this paper, because the whole point of the paper was saying that, um, oh man, can I even remember what it was about? <laughs> like the, the cytokines, I think you've called them a secondary immune system, but the, the weak oxidative metabolism, the shift towards NADH and lactate, and the production of the cytokines in response, this paper was arguing that those are the things that are chronically activating the, the hypothalamus pituitary and adrenals. And then you have the endotoxin is another thing activator. Um, but that I, maybe that was, I, I thought that was great because it kind of clarified things in my brain of how inflammation and stress are these synonymous concepts and the, the cytokines are basically activating the, the stress centers. Uh, uh, yeah, but- but but the basic thing is the failure of energy or the shift from oxidative to glycolytic energy, and uh, that uh, predisposes you to all of the cytokine problems. And and those are just uh, messengers, like the TNF alpha and the uh, NFK KB. Uh, what what is it called? The NFK nuclear factor kappa yeah, yeah. B. Yeah, did the there. I mean, I know there's like a thousand of them, but what's your interpretation? They're just uh, sending signals? Uh, yeah, they're like an amplifying system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Saying that the cells are in a bad state. Yeah. Uh, and uh, evoking emergency measures. Awesome. Okay, wait, Ray, we'll let you go in a second here. What are you working on right now? I'm still, still working on the uh, adaptation uh, based on cell uh, learning, uh, uh, epigenetics uh, as learning, uh, not as a, 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 a euphemism uh, for uh, uh, non-genetic, uh, but uh, uh, epigenetics as a continuous uh, process of, of learning and adaptation. Uh, and 
uh, following that, I, I think it's going to be uh, uh, how uh, the uh, estrogen uh, system works, especially in, in breast and prostate uh, cancer, and, and so what can be uh, done to uh, intervene in, in those uh, deteriorating inflammatory estrogenic processes. Man, that was such a good conversation. I'm embarrassed. I never, I didn't mention Progest E by Kenogen. So, so email Catherine to purchase uh, uh, Progest E, uh, Kenogen at gmail.com. Each bottle contains, uh, uh, Progest E contains 3,400 milligrams of progesterone. And usually, Ray, I ask you about a story of progesterone, but I have one this week. <laughs> and so somebody <laughs> I've talked to for a long period of time that's tried many, 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 many different things, uh, they on their own uh, started taking, and they're a male, obviously, they, they started taking 200 milligrams of progesterone. And, and I talked to them and they said uh, one of the things that was chronically like haunting them was their milk allergy. And then it went away when they were taking the 200 milligrams of progesterone. And so obviously you've mentioned that before. And so I thought that was, that was, that was in like miracle territory because uh, this person has tried so many different things. Very good to hear. <laughs> well, the progesterone is at, uh, inducing the lactase enzyme. Is that right? It does what? It's inducing lac the lactase, uh, among uh, other uh, things? Uh, yeah, like thyroid. Mm. It helps bring up the digestive enzymes. Awesome. And then you can email uh, raypeatsnewsletter at gmail.com to get Ray's books that I have here. And then you can uh, also email raypeatsnewsletter at gmail.com for $28 for a bi-monthly newsletter by Ray. And so... Uh, with that, let me read these uh, donations, which I will send directly to Ray. Um, and let me just try to mess with my screen here. <laughs> this is a chronic problem every single time. Um, okay, the first donation I can't read. This is embarrassing. Okay, Kyle Mamunis for one ninety nine. Thank you so much, Kyle. Uh, Michelle for $50. Thank you so much, Michelle. Uh, I think there are more <laughs> donations. This is very embarrassing, guys. I can't read the donations. Um, Anyways, I guess we'll have to read them next time. Um, so with that, Georgie, any parting words? Not really. <laughs> like I said, unplug and live your life. <laughs> the, the system depends entirely on your computer to manipulate you. <laughs> uh, Ray, same with you. Parting words? Uh, yeah, start learning Spanish. <laughs> we'll have more, more fun. <laughs> uh, well, but just to touch on that for a second... Didn't you say something like uh, you could go work out or you could go learn a language and that would activate a different part of the nervous system? And so that was something constructive a person could do? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's more constructive to uh, learn another language. Awesome. Ray, thank you so much. Uh, these are always really fun to do. Georgie Dinkov, thank you for being my partner in crime. Uh, sincerely appreciate it. And thank you, everybody watching this. Thank you, everybody watching in the future. We're on Odyssey, BitChute, Spotify uh, for as long as those venues will have us and so subscribe to those other ones or the telegram or whatever thank you ray pete thank you georgie dinkov thank you to our great audience uh we'll see you guys next week i think georgie i haven't even told you but we're going to do a show next week i think <laughs> okay all right okay <laughs> everybody take care have a safe weekend we'll talk to you guys soon bye everybody thanks bye bye